Welcome to season four, Fostering Change, the number one podcast in adoption and foster care. You know, each week we speak to the most amazing good humans about topics that touch each and every one of us. If you have a guest suggestion or interest in sponsoring our podcast, please visit us at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, sit back, enjoy, learn, get motivated, and let's speak to some fascinating guests. Well, you know, it's hard to believe that we have another episode of Fostering Change. You know, I have to tell you, for me, you know, the year seems to be really flying by. January is out the door. We're already in February. And every single time my producers come to me and they talk about, you know, a new guest, I actually have to say, I'm like, oh, I think this might be it. I think, you know, because I'm tired. I'm traveling. You know, the charity's growing. Five kids, you know, trying to it's everything. But then I get a book in the mail and I start to read it. And it is just overpowering some of these books that I'm receiving. And this is definitely one of them. So a lot of you know that if you've been in my office where I do my, my podcast in my studio, I have a bookshelf. And I'm sorry to say this for all of the guests who have been on our, our show the last four seasons, I do hand select the books that are on my bookshelf. And the reason for that is because those are books I want to be able to grab quickly when I have people come in and I want to hand them this book. And this book is actually going on my bookshelf. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so, so excited to introduce you to Kenesha Anthony. Kenesha wrote Labeled Ward of the State. It is, you know, I have to tell you, it it definitely keeps you on your seat. But Kenesha, what I learned from your book and by the way, you know, I have a book, I'm I'm like you, grew up in the system, aged out, drug addicted parents, the same, you and I, I mean, you could have been my sister. But what I loved about reading your book is the fact that you are truly educating us so, so much more, that the system, even after all the years ago, you and I've been in it, is still a shattered. So what made you decide to write this book? I always wanted to write a book and I've always put it at the top of my goal list for the year. We always do our vision boards and I'm like, this year I'm going to write a book. Becoming a caseworker and working on the front line, a youth that a child that was on my caseload, he actually Googled me. And when I came to work that morning, I checked my emails and he indicated that Miss Kenesha, I emailed you. I mean, I Googled you. I learned that you were in foster care. Can you tell me more about your story? So being a professional, someone saying that they Googled you is alarming. Like, oh my God, why are you why are you digging into who I am? But because of who I am, I wanted to share my story with him. I wanted to answer all of his questions because he was 17, getting ready to age out. Both of his parents was deceased. He was living with an uncle who had a drug addiction. And this is how I came in contact with him. And he was such a sweet, sweet kid, unproblematic. And he just was curious and had questions. So when he asked me that, I was like, you know what? Who was I at 17 and what can I do for 17 year olds? So if if they, if I'm not their caseworker, 
they can have my story. They can reference my story. They can use my story as a guide and I can share my experiences with the world. And even when I'm not here in flesh and the physical, people have something to reference. Yeah, I absolutely love that. You know, one of the things that I got out of the book too is something that I always tell people all the time, don't blame the system, help us change the system. And even though the system truly failed you as it had failed me and as it failed thousands and thousands of children throughout our country, you really don't put the blame, you know, as so many other authors, I've read their books and that blame is. And the other thing I have to tell you, I love your title. So one of the things, you know, I'm a banker by trade. So for me, you know, growing up in the foster care system, um, like what I hear you're saying, I didn't really tell people my story. I didn't want people to know my story. I actually was embarrassed of my story. And I was embarrassed that if you put the word foster in front of my name, you immediately put me in a class of people. And it wasn't until my children arrived from the system that I realized that we as a society need to change our vocabulary, that we no longer need to call these children foster children. These need to be called children who are experiencing foster care, children who are the ward of the state. And that's what I actually got out of your title of your book is that We've got to stop labeling these kids. We have to stop labeling people. Oh my gosh, that is so true. We have got to stop labeling people. You know, when the very first time that you actually walked into a bookstore, somebody ordered your book, what did it feel like? The first time <laughs> that I physically saw someone walk in a bookstore and order my book, I was at Books and Books in Miami because my book is on their shelves. Well, when you're an author and you're a business and you're operating, everything is such a rush and you're trying to make sure everything is perfect. But I can speak on my emotions after the event. I was just I was I was satisfied. I was filled. My, my cup was filled. I was happy. Everybody was walking out of the bookstore with a signed book in their hand. And that was a moment of success for me. And I was like, I did it, I'm doing it, and I'm going to keep going. So yeah. You're going to keep going. And I love that, that you're going to keep going. You know, the fact is, is that, you know, you're an award-winning advocate for youth, which I absolutely am so, so proud of you. But you also actually graduated from college, which, as you know, only 3% of kids who actually have been in the foster care system actually have that opportunity to graduate from college. Where did you get your grit to push yourself forward, to make yourself not be part of the 97% who seem to be floundering so much in our system. As it relates to education, I always, when I was in the 10th grade, I was going to Miami Care City. I had a trend, I had a transition in my life where I was going to another placement, but I didn't have a guardian. So I didn't finish the 10th grade because I had no one to register me for school. And that was like one of those moments and times in my life where I was out of the eye of the system until another caregiver came along and was like, I'll take care of her. 
and realized that hey she when they when she tried to register me for school and she reached back out to people who had previous custody of me and felt like they had the paperwork Miami Edison would not accept the paperwork they were like no this is outdated we need new paperwork so once we went to court well DCF was contacted again and I I came back before the eyes of the department new custody orders were distributed to the woman who decided that she would care for me at this time. So when, when she registered me for school, I had to repeat the 10th grade. To me, that was, I was, my environment was people telling me, you know, you don't want to go to school because I did have my own behavioral issues that I always admit to. Like I, I was in my own head doing my own thing due to, for many reasons, the lack of care that the people that I expected to care for me were offering to me. So it was like, oh, Kanisha don't want to go to school. She just want to run the street. She just want to do this. Just go to job court. But something in the back of my head, I just, I didn't want that. Like I wanted to go to regular school. I just always wanted to be a regular kid. And that was like one thought. But as I went on my journey, I always knew I was smart enough to pass my to pass my classes and to do the work. I never struggled where I needed tutoring. I was I was always a smart kid. And as I just went on the journey and as my environments began to change, I was able to, I knew what I wanted deep down inside and I just needed the support to get there. Whether if that meant a trial and error to figure it out on my own, how I did with the support, how I navigated my life. But the grit was always there. And as I went on and the more I learned, like when I tapped into college, I was at a breaking point where I was in the 12th grade. I was going to night school, day school, virtual school to graduate. I graduated at 19 and I didn't want to graduate when I was 20 because that's embarrassing. So I was really working really hard to make, I made so many sacrifices to graduate at 19. But okay, so I'm still in high school at 18 when I'm aging out. And when I spoke to the judge, the judge told me because I'm 18, it's nothing more that they can do for me. So that was a, that was a defining moment in my life that let me know I had decisions to make. So I continued to go to school. I had more decisions to make. I realized nobody was coming to save me. So that was another eye-opening moment in my life. Many more breakdowns. But once I was 19, you know, I've already been told by, by a person who is highly honored in our community that I'm grown. So it was like, Kanisha, what are you going to do with your life? You could go to work or you could go to college. Going to work just... It didn't seem like, okay, you can go get a job at McDonald's. That just didn't seem more appeasing to me. Now, the one thing that I did have was the tuition exemption. So it was like, you could go to college for free. So I was like, I'm going to take, that was the only option on the table. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to college. So I made the decision to go to college. My first year was rough. It was a lot of trial and error. But once I actually figured it out. Like I figured out how to navigate college. I figured out how to get scholarships. I got a job on campus. I was like, you know what? I could do this. And as I kept going, college just got better and better for me. So I was like, okay, I changed my environment. I was in, I was living in my own world, navigating college. So 
those moments, right? That's what kept the grit in me, especially once I figured it out, I was a rocket. I'm not stopping. Wow. I love that. I absolutely love that. You know, the fact is, you know, how sad, first of all, that, that anyone, you know, especially leaders within our community, look at a child at 18. And by the way, you know, my, my oldest son, um, he's 22. Um, my husband and I, brought him home at the age of 18 because he was a kid who would like you fallen through the cracks of child welfare had been in foster care and nobody was making sure that this kid was getting going to get anything besides here's five hundred dollars you're aged out and you're done so to see and hear the grit you have because just like you alex was like i feel my opinion Kids in foster care, when they age out, they only have three choices. Choice number one, give up. We know that suicide rate is higher than we have ever seen with children within our foster care system. Choice number two, give in. We know for a fact that foster care is no more than a pipeline to a penitentiary. Or choice number three, which is what you did, which is to give it all you got. To give it all you got. You know, I absolutely love that. I love that you were able to navigate, but I'm going to tell you something that had to be scary as hell, my friend, <laughs> not having anyone there knowing that, you know, just like I said, I, I, it was a book that, you know, I think it's a learning book. And by the way, you don't have to be in the foster care system to love this book. You don't even have to know somebody in foster care to love this book. But what this book will do for you is to show you what is happening. What is happening? Because I know for a fact there are people listening to this podcast, watching this on YouTube, and they think, oh, the government is taking care of these kids. No, as Kanisha said. 18 years old, the judge says, we're done. We'll be right back. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that inspires our communities to bring hope and dignity to our youth that are in foster care. For just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Case mission and help us eliminate trash bags for kids who are entering foster care. For every $10 that you give, Comfort Cases will give a Comfort XL to a child entering the system. Be part of the change. Visit comfortcases.org. Well, you know, it's hard to believe four seasons in and the list keeps growing of the number of people that I've been able to meet that actually have inspired me. You know, at 56, I always laugh and say there's a little less that's going to inspire me. But I'm going to tell you something. I get these amazing guests on here, these people who write their books. And, you know, the one thing, Kanisha, I'm going to tell you is that I've said this time and time again. It's very hard for us to tell our story in the very beginning. But once you tell your story, the impact that it can make within our society could truly be the difference of whether or not 18 is now changing to 21. Because by the way, in most states, we're seeing that wave that children are aging out. 21 is now that. But this is my question for you. I think it's something that you truly probably have more insight than, than most, you know, Um by the time you're 18 years old, okay, and you've been in the system most of your life, 
10, 11, 12 homes. You have had failure after failure, people who have let you down. The trauma within its own self that we suffer, and by the way, we all know we suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder twice the rate as our combat veterans coming back from the front line. You know, the thing, why would a child stay into the system after 18 and wait till they're 21? Well, that's a question that I currently ask my colleagues as we sit at tables and plan programs and say, how can we improve, how can we improve the housing need? How can we improve? I asked that question so I can tell you that I don't have the answer to it, but I do pose that question for some critical thinking to happen for our leaders, for the people of power who are the decision makers. I ask the same question and I do because I currently I currently work in the system and I have been for the last eight years. So I see more than what I thought I saw as a child. I see things from the other side of the table. So when I am serving you and it's time to start talking about transitions, youth are they don't want to be in the system. They're like, I don't care if you gave me a million dollars. I want out. I want to be on my own. And that's just that. Whether they finish high school or not, they don't want to be in the system. So they don't want to deal with the system. They don't want to deal with the, the red tape, the politics. So one thing I do, I can say that I do as a professional, I ask people that I serve, whether you're a child, a parent, a family, how can I serve you? I don't use the methodology to say this is what you're supposed to be doing in your life. If you don't do this, then you're a bad person or you're a bad parent. I ask, how can I serve you? And I use my knowledge and assist families with navigating the system and communities in our community to access resources that they need. Because if I can show to the courts that I educated you about how to access mental health services if you're feeling depressed or something of that nature. And I can tell your story to the courts and say, hey, this mom, this child, this person was feeling depressed. They called me. They let me know. They called the mental health facility. They reached out to their therapist. They reached out to the person who's teaching them about parenting when they were going through a tough time. So they're showing me that they are a capable adult. Yeah. They are showing me that they have cognitive thinking, that they know how to make decisions. And that is that is what I look for as a social worker, but also that's what the foundation of our system is like that's what they train us to go do and due to all of the hoopla it just turns into all this other stuff that we right. currently deal with but back to your question I have the same question why should we stay and I think that that is a question that we have to continuously ask our leaders and the powers that be yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, the fact is, is that, you know, the statistics show us that 64% of the children who are in our foster care system are in because of one word, and that word is yeah. neglect. And you know, as well as I do, the definition of neglect is poverty. And I feel like, you know, and I know, by the way, everybody, I know you're going to do it. You do it every single time I bring this up or send me the heat, hate emails. Go ahead and hit me up on Instagram and social media, all of that. That's fine. I got tough skin. The system is shattered. 
And the fact is, is that we should be doing everything in our power to keep that child with their birth parents. That if, you know, I mean, you give a stranger a check, you know, who you think is taking care of that child. I don't understand why we can't give that parent a helping hand. You know, I think that we have lost the the whole insight of why communities were built. And, you know, Nelson Mandela said, you know, you can truly judge a society by the way they treat their children, you know. And if you really look at our society and how we treat children in foster care, we would fail. We would fail. You know, if you actually were able to wave that magic wand and you were able to change two things today in the foster care system, my friend, what would those two things be? The two things that I would change in the foster care system is mindset and preventative measures. So there was something that you said about the foster care system and keeping children with their parents. While I agree with that as a human being, as a professional and as a human being, I shall say, I was a child that can't go back with my parents. So now what does that look like? So when we talk about abolishing the child welfare system or we talk about reforming the child welfare system, in the past year, I've been reflecting on where are my thought processes at now, where I wasn't going back home. I didn't go back home. Do I think that the system, so I do want to say this, right? Because I've changed my thought processes about how I even look at the system, being a person that works in it. So I don't control housing. I don't control wages. I don't control all of the aspects that me as a social worker have to evaluate when it comes to helping my family. So we all can admit that in 2023, inflation has knocked people who may have thought they was on the brink of being rich. If you was going to be that three years ago, the goalposts have moved because of inflation. So as a social worker, it is hypocritical of me to judge a parent who can't provide housing for their family because they can't afford housing. The, the foster care system is a governing, it's an overseeing system. I oversee the community and I oversee that family navigating the community. What resources are available in our community and what is, what is society providing for our families to be able to thrive? That's what I'm looking at as a social worker. I am the system does not provide. I can't give you a job. I right. cannot help you skip the full step line. I can't help you skip the section eight line. And these are all of the things, as I have said in the courtroom, that I've heard parents ask judges for. That they want the judge to write an order so they could get section eight to be able to have subsidized housing to be able to get their children back. But that's not a call that we can make. Right, right. So, but again, it's we, the fail. It's the fail of the community, though. I mean, our leaders. That's the leaders, that's the bigger the, picture. Yeah, that's the, that's the bigger fail. picture, which is why in my lifetime I have gone to Capitol Hill. I've gone to my state capitol. I speak with my state represent my county representative, my state representative, because 
there are so many other factors. Like it's not just the foster care system. Even when I speak with my peers, I, I try to, I do my best to educate them about the policies and procedures that truly governs our lives. It's not the foster care system. Now, your case manager who's assigned to your case, how that individual chooses to show up to work determines a lot. But the factors that go into a judicial review or a case plan, I have no control over that. I can evaluate your unique situation and what you're going through and recommend a case plan that I feel is applicable to your situation. But at the end of the day, I can stand firm on my recommendation. The judge have the final say so. I don't even have the final say so with my recommendation. Right. I can go in court and testify. I recommend that this family needs parenting. And the judge can overrule me and get that stricken out of a case plan. But those are processes that people don't understand. And then we move forward to, I live in Miami. We do not have a great transportation system. So we have resources in our community, but to what extent? Is it walking distance if someone doesn't have a car? Car insurance, personally, I worked so hard to get my car insurance under $500. And this year, my car insurance is $860. I was almost, I was at $600 six months ago. And now I'm at $860. And as a society, as a community, and as a system, I do believe that it is my responsibility as a social worker is to advocate for families. And that is whether if you're in the foster care system or a society that prevents families from having to come into the foster care system. So that's the approach and the stance that I take and all of the things that I would change, which is mindset and preventative measures. That is the preventative measures is beyond the foster care system, the child welfare system. We have to advocate for these changes because those, well, I'm so familiar with uh, chapter 39. So I always say that because I'm here in Florida, but chapter 39 of our Florida statutes has nothing to do with rent control or wages or the resources in our community and how dollars are allocated for these resources from the federal and state government. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, you're right. And I love both of those points. And you, you know, And I, too, have sat in courtrooms and I have watched and listened to a judge change a case plan that a social worker who has spent time and time again with a family, but the judge who sees this person once every three to six months comes in and says, nope, this is going to be stricken. And we've all sat there and been like, you haven't even talked to the child. So listen, Kanisha, I will tell you, I absolutely adore you. I continue to keep doing because people like you are the reason that we will see change. People like you is the reason that we will see less and less kids falling through the cracks of child welfare, you know, and I absolutely love that. Listen, everybody, the book is called Labeled ward of the state my guest kanisha anthony i will have the link on our website i will have the link on all of our social media platforms i'm telling you you all are getting ready for this nice warm weather and you spring break is coming up and you need a book to sit on the beach take the book but do me a favor do what i had to do 
take a box of tissues as well, because realization sometimes truly does bring a tear to your eye. And once again, you know, the thing that we all can do, educate ourselves. And that we do by reading people's stories. Take care, everyone. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange@comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.